Uh, now, I grew up in Goldsboro, which is like from like 86 to 92, so I grew up in Goldsboro. That's like 30 minutes from Kinston, if you've ever been out there. Um, and to give you some perspective, Kinston is a little town. There's only 21,000 people live in Kinston. Um, but they have produced seven NBA basketball players out of that town. So if you're a high school basketball player, your odds of going in the NBA are 3 in 10,000, okay? But if you're from Kinston, the odds are 1 in 52.7. So if you want to make the league, maybe move to Kinston and drink the water. I don't know. Now, they produced players like Brandon Ingram, who currently plays in New Orleans, I think. He took Kinston High to four straight uh, state titles. Former NBA Finals MVP Cedric Maxwell is from Kinston. Probably the most famous, one of the most famous is Jerry, Jerry Stackhouse. He, of course, went to UNC Chapel Hill. Played many years. Yeah, I'm not a Carolina guy, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, let it out. Let it out. I'm a, I'm a, we're Wake Forest people, so, you know, we, we're all bent over from abuse. But, um, um, yeah, Jerry, uh, I call him Jerry like I know him, but Jerry um, Stackhouse played a lot in the NBA. Now, when he was a sophomore at Kinston High School, my bro- older brother is five years older than me. He was at Little Measley Eastern Wayne High School. So every year, Kinston and Eastern Wayne play, play each other. Well, Kinston would destroy Eastern Wayne. And um, they, had a, they had a player on Eastern Wayne, my brother's high school's team. One of our friends, his name was Brian. Brian was like 5'9", maybe weighed 110 pounds, soaking wet. And, but Brian was on the team because he could shoot. Like, he had a beautiful jump shot, and he could hit it from the outside. So he started for Eastern Wayne. And so when they came up for the game time, like you saw that video, Kenston's side is just packed. Like, it's probably breaking fire codes and stuff. Like, it's just full of people. They want to see the show, right? They're there to see the dunks. And Kenston would go to the state finals that year. Eastern Wayne, as little measly people on the other side, they're like, if we don't lose by 50, we'll be lucky, right? It's one of those games. So... Um, so Brian's on Eastern Wayne, Kenston's there, and of course the first quarter Eastern Wayne maybe sticks around, they kind of hang for as best they can, but soon just depth and size and speed take over, and soon they're down by 10, they're down by 20, they're down by 30. At one point, the Kenston guy goes on a fast break, dunks it on our friend Brian, and pats him on the head after he dunks on Brian. He's being polite about it at least. So they comes to the end of the game, they're, they're literally down by 50 points at the end of the game, a few seconds left, but then two miracles happened. One, Kenston actually missed a shot. Second, Eastern Wayne actually got a rebound. And they quickly take it up the court, dish it to the corner to Brian, who's waiting, camping in the corner. Brian shoots a three-pointer, beautiful shot, buzzer goes off, hits it, Eastern Wayne side goes bananas. So, yeah! Eat it, Kenston! Right? They're like, yes! The Kinston people are like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> you just lost by 47 points. We just destroyed you. Welcome to Pentecost. Outs- the outside world looks at celebration and goes, what's wrong with these people? They're out of their minds. They're crazy. They're just gotten, they're getting slaughtered. And why are they celebrating? Here we have spirit-empowered celebration. People that look like they're getting killed, but they're actually celebrating but they're focused on something totally different than what everybody else is looking at. Look at Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. It'll be on the screen. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven 
there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not these, all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, visitors from Rome. Man, they keep going. In our own languages, we hear from them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, but what does this mean? And others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. They were saying, oh, you're doing some day drinking, early church. You're drinking before noon. You're crazy. No, they're filled with the Spirit. They're filled with Spirit-empowered celebration. I mean, because after the crucifixion, the disciples are hiding. They're waiting, but they're still hiding. And after the ascension, well, after the, after, I'm sorry, after the crucifixion, they're scared. After the ascension, they're hiding and they're waiting. But then after the Pentecost, something huge happens. They waited for 10 days before Pentecost. They waited in the upper room. But after the waiting, their hopelessness would turn into hope. Their faithlessness became faith. Their despondency became expectation. Their fear turned into boldness. So what happened? Obviously, something changed, like cause and effect. You can't deny that. Like every church that exists today goes to that point. So the fact that we're even here now, every church now, today's meeting on Pentecost is almost proof that something happened that day that broke the church out. It wasn't just, hey, let's start a church. Let's be a 501c3 and let's get our act together. No, like something supernatural happened that today we are now the, the recipients of and benefits of, right? It's like something occurred. Let's talk about the Spirit real quick. I think there's a lot, of course, you could say about the Holy Spirit. But there's a few things to give context about. For one, Jesus lived in the flow of the Holy Spirit. He, had, he was in the intimacy with the Holy Spirit all the time. Luke chapter 4, he was filled with the Spirit. He was led, not just one day, but every day. Luke uh, chapter 1, of course, with Christmas, right? We celebrate that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, 21, that Jesus felt joy in the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14 that tells us that Christ offered his life for us through the Spirit. Romans 8.11, Paul reminds us that the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, can also live within us and raise you from the dead one day when you pass from this life to the next. So, so Jesus, from conception to the, to the ascension, Jesus had a remarkable of course, intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So, of course, he knows what we need, what needs to be sent from heaven to earth to the early church. It wasn't like he sometimes was with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he walked in intimacy with the Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit is not like JV Jesus, right? It's not like lesser than God. He is equal person of the Trinity. He's equally God just as the Father and the Son are, the third person, if you will, of the Godhead. So we can have fellowship with the Spirit of God because the Spirit has a personality. 
just like the Father does and the Son does. The Spirit is just as much God as they are. So that the Spirit is good and the Spirit is God. The Spirit is good and the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit can pray through you and in you as you pray. The Spirit can help you receive truth from the Bible. So if you're having a devotional time, sometimes it's good before you start to read to say, Holy Spirit, will you bring to my mind something that maybe I need to see today? Because that's his role. That's what he does. It's one of the things he does. So he helps us receive truth, the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. You don't grieve a force like Star Wars. No, you grieve a personality. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions and maybe our disobedience. We can lie to the Holy Spirit. In Acts, we see Ananias uh, famously lie to the apostles, and they actually drop dead right there, but that's a different uh, sermon. But um, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit can guide our lives and lead us and provide new opportunities for us. Now, the Holy Spirit can also not be tamed. You cannot buy the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind, and it goes wherever it wants. You can't tell where it came from here or there, but it's always present. You can't necessarily see the Holy Spirit, but you see his effects on our lives, just like you see wind on the water. You can't necessarily see it, but you see what he does. Amen? Amen. That's the the truth. But you can't buy his power. Like in Acts chapter 8, Peter and the apostles are doing ministry. They're walking around. They're healing people. They're doing amazing things. The Spirit of God through them and miraculous things. And a local sorcerer sees what Peter's doing and basically says, hey, can I buy what you got? Because that's amazing. And Peter rebukes him and says, you need to check your heart before God because you cannot buy what we've got. You receive it by faith. And he probably had a lot more harsher words than that to say than I'm saying right now. But you can't tame the Holy Spirit. He does what he wants when he wants because he's God and he's good. Because he's God and he's good. Because like at Pentecost, there's a wildness to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he brings peace and calm and tranquility. Other times he'll shake the walls. Like John Wesley had an experience at the Fetter Lane Society at 2 a.m. They're praying throughout the night. The walls begin to shake. They fall on the ground in joy and they're, they're shouting out loud. Like that's, the Holy Spirit brings fire upon their prayer meeting, okay? So that, like that's some of the ways the Holy Spirit moves. But he's uncontrollable in a good way. Now, in the denominational church, sometimes we get very uncomfortable with Holy Spirit talk because they're like, well, I don't want to be seen as a Pentecostal or a fundamentalist. So we kind of treat the Holy Spirit like he's that weird uncle at Christmas. You're like, yeah, I know we're family, but you stay over there and I'll wave and and then I'll go home. Like, we're cool, but don't get too close. Like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, but don't like make me uncomfortable right? Don't necessarily change anything, because we don't really like to be led sometimes. We'd rather lead, but sometimes we have to allow ourselves to do that, to be, to be led. It, on Pentecost Sunday, we have to remember that more than any other time, to actively seek the Spirit and His holy work, and welcome that with abandon, with, with passion, without fear because he's God and he's good. He's God and he's good. We shouldn't be afraid of being in a, letting the spirit move in our lives as he wants to. Yeah, we can't program him, but his work is so vital to our lives in the life of faith. It's critical, 
critical. Even John Wesley, of course, Wesley wrote a lot about what the Spirit's role is. One quote he has is, it's the Spirit that sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. So it's the Spirit of God that helps you know how much God loves you. He unlocks your eyes to see that. The Holy Spirit also shows God's love for all mankind. He can help you see more of that, help you love your neighbor better. The Holy Spirit can purify your hearts from love of the world, that he can change your motivations, if you will, change your your desires to holy desires, to purify you from lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. So the Holy Spirit, that's all good stuff. The Holy Spirit does all of that in our hearts and our lives. It is by him that you are delivered from anger and pride, from all vile and inordinate affections. Again, a reordering of your desires to holiness. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember that the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is good. You can translate the word um, pneuma, spirit, in Greek that Jesus, or they used in the New Testament. Many ways, of course, we've heard counselor. The Spirit is our counselor to help guide us and bring healing into our lives. The Holy Spirit can be our advocate, which means that when we don't know what to pray or we don't know how to pray, that the Spirit prays and intercedes for us before the Father in heaven. And he's our advocate to God for us, praying for us in groanings that the words can't even begin to express. Another translation is helper. The Spirit has come to be our helper and guide. And one of my favorites is friend. It can be translated, the Holy Spirit is our friend. He's come to help and you know, be beside us, be within us, to be our friend because he's good, because he's God. Now, for many of us, like I said, I grew up in church, great churches, but I don't have a lot of memories of the Holy Spirit. I don't have a lot of memories of like these astounding Pentecost experiences. Um, was God present? I'm sure he was, absolutely. God's probably doing a thousand things in your life right now, and you maybe can only see three, right? I mean, he's always, like that Waymaker song says, he's always working. He's always working. Um, so, The Holy Spirit is always present and around and among us, but sometimes generationally, churches can not have an experience of the Holy Spirit in worship, and that lack of experience then gets handed off generationally, and then whole denominations just kind of slowly forget what he can do. We kind of forget, because we never experienced it. We believe it, but we might not have ever had an experience of the supernatural with God at work in our lives. Now, some denominations are cessationist, which what that means is they believe that that's Pentecost, that's great, that happened back then, but it doesn't happen now. Those things have ceased. Now, we're not cessationists. Methodists are not. We believe that those things can still happen today, that God, can, the Holy Spirit can still move like that in our hearts and, and churches when we pray and seek him. Sometimes it might take time, but he will eventually do those sorts of works in our lives if we'll ask him to. Because um, Jesus said, I'm not sending help to a generation and then I'm stopping, right? I'm not sending help to the apostles, then 2,000 years are gonna go by and nothing. He says, I'm sending help, helper, friend, counselor, advocate. I'm sending him to every generation. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh, all that will believe, all that will receive what I wanna give you, I will pour it out upon you to empower you, to empower you to live a life that you never could have done on your own strength. 
So after the ascension, Jesus is in heaven. The disciples are waiting for 10 days, as I said. And Jesus is up there, and he's basically like, don't even try this before I send you power. Don't even get ahead of me. Just wait. Because if you try to do on your own strength what you're getting ready to do, it won't work. But if you wait on me to give you what you need, it will work. You, when I empower you, you could achieve far more than you ever possibly could have. In the United Methodist Church, when you go up for uh, ordination, you, um, you spend three years of writing papers and interviews. Uh, I went to a psychologist. <laughs> I apparently passed. I don't know. Um, you go to a doctor. They check you. I mean, they check you out. They check you out. But one thing you spend a lot of time talking about is your call. And it's a very good, good process where you have to define and clarify your call. And the peers, other clergy that are meeting with you are just wanting to see, help you discern that. Like, do you know that God has called you? Are you sure? Like, here, let us help you, pray for you through that. It's a beautiful thing. It's very much the church at its best in many ways. Um, the, so the call part is absolutely critical. There's not a lot of talk about empowerment. How has the Spirit empowered you? How has the Spirit been moving? What has the Spirit been saying to you? Like, we've kind of lost that language of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Now, that language is all up in here. The apostles had it. The early church had it. Sometimes we don't have that way of understanding of how is the Spirit speaking to me this week? And it's okay to ask that because that's our birthright as sons and daughters of God. How is the Spirit empowering you to do this work? Because without that power, you can't do it. You can't be fruitful. Yeah, the disciples, they were called. They, Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee. He called them by name. He sought them, like he seeks us out by his grace. He called them, but they weren't empowered yet. He calls me and you. Maybe some of us aren't empowered yet with the Spirit of God, because without his Spirit, we won't bear fruit. Again, on Pentecost, the outside world is looking in at this gathering, and they're going, what's wrong with these people? Why are they celebrating when they're down by 47 points? Why are they getting slaughtered? Because they have found a resource they didn't have before. They have their spirit empowered. They tapped into something that God gave them that didn't happen before in their lives. Now I'm going to give you another illustration that you'd not expect to hear on Pentecost. Probably no one else is using this anywhere in the world, in all modesty. In 1984, a movie came out called Spinal Tap. Um, a mockumentary, not a real documentary, about a rock band from England. Um, and there's this famous scene that I'm not going to show you because I don't think it's PG, um, where uh, they're, they're, the guitar player is showing his amps and his gear to the director, and he's like, yeah, here's my, you know, here's my orange amp and all this stuff. And then he says, now, here's our amps. You know, famously, these go to 11. You know, amps go from 1 to 10. They're knobs. Uh, their amps went to 11. He's like, we turn it up to 11. We want to have that extra little bit of oomph in our show, you know? And the director was like, well, why don't you just make 10 a little bit louder, and then you don't need 11. And he says, well, these go to 11. That's the famous line, these go to 11. In many ways, Jesus ascended and sent us power so that we could go to 11. So we could get over that hump. So that we could do more, anywhere close to possible than by ourselves, on our own ability, our own planning and money and resources. 
But with the Spirit's coming, we can go to 11. And Jesus says something astounding in John chapter 16, uh, verses 5 through 7, where he says, But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, and etc. He goes on to teach about the comforter. He's saying, it is for your good that I'm leaving. It's to your advantage. Other translations could be, it is profitable. It is expedient. It is better. He doesn't even answer their questions. He just says, just wait. He doesn't say, read more Torah. He doesn't say, get into a small group, as important as those things are. He doesn't say, do any of that. He just says, it's for your good that I'm going. Now, the Holy Spirit is present in the Old Testament, obviously at creation, right? Genesis chapter 1. We see the Holy Spirit, of course, in certain prophets and, and t- people throughout, the, I think definitely on Moses or Elijah or Elisha, things like that. But now it's Joel 2 time, where the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all flesh. Sons and daughters, old men will dream dreams, young men will have visions. This is not for them. It's for everyone across every generation that will put their faith in Christ and receive him by faith. And the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith. The Spirit is, has always been doing the same work across all of history. He's not doing a new thing. He's doing what he's always done. He's always been bringing things to life. Always been raising the dead. Always been resurrecting. Always been raising us up and bringing new creation to birth. So some people in the United Methodist Church love to say that the Spirit is doing a new thing. And I would say, no, he's not. He's always doing what he's always done, which is empower us to live for Christ and proclaim him in boldness to the world. The Spirit will not do anything that's contrary to the word or contrary to the nature of God. He will always be in obedience to those things because God knows that we're sitting on top of a gold mine. We're sitting on top of a gold mine. We have resources to mine, to receive of the Spirit, if only we would take them. I love hearing stories about like barn finds, like these TV shows, right, where people like find stuff that they didn't know, like these expensive cars. I saw a show where someone found like a Shelby Ford, like GT in someone's barn. It's worth like $500,000, I don't know. It was, it was all dusty, it looked, it looked worthless to me, but you know, they find all this crazy stuff. I, I read a news story in 2016 about a family in Ohio. Now, the most famous baseball card, the most expensive baseball card ever sold was the Honus Wagner card from the early tw- uh, 20th century, sold for $3.2 million at auction. One of them. A family in Ohio in 2016 were cleaning out their grand- great-grandfather's barn, reach up on a shelf, they find wax paper, open it up, this is true, They found seven Honus Wagner cards. Do the math. $210, I mean, $21 million. They made off, I love those kind of stories, right, where like you find all these resources like you didn't know you had, right? It's like, wow, it's like winning the lottery. 
There's a really famous story about a man named Yates who uh, grew up in Texas during the Great Depression. And there's still a field there called Yates Field in Texas. Now, Yates was not, he didn't have enough money to run his own ranching operation. He was extremely poor. Uh, He was so poor, he was on government assistance. He had sheep that he would let graze the fields that he barely managed to pay for. He had very little clothes or food, like many others during the Great Depression, almost had uh, no resources at all. But day after day, he would let his his, uh, sheep go over the hills of the West Texas area, and no doubt troubled about what he didn't have and the resources he didn't have. But then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. At 1,100 feet, they hit a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many more were drilled for twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, they showed that he still had the potential for 125,000 barrels of oil a day on his land. Here's the the kicker, he owned it all. But for years, he had no idea what the wealth was below his feet while he suffered day after day. He had been living on government relief, a multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem was that he didn't know the oil was there even though he owned the land. They actually based the Beverly Hillbillies off this guy. And many times, and I don't say this in judgment, I say this to myself as well, Christians do tend to live in spiritual poverty when we are walking on top of a lot of resources that we could be accessing by faith, by faith, just to drill down a little bit deeper and you don't just wait until you hit it. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, E. Stanley Jones, the great Methodist missionary to India, he said it best, unless the Holy Spirit fills, the human spirit will fail. And that is so true. Soren Kierkegaard, the famous philosopher, gave this allegory, this allegorical tale about uh, ducks that were going to church one day. I like to think about the town of Duck, North Carolina, when I think about this. <laughs> the ducks were waddling to church one day. Just, 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 just go there with me. Waddling to church, and they had their suits and ties on, and uh, they go to church, they sit there in their, in their, their duck pews, and the duck preacher gets up with his duck robe on and he opens his duck Bible and he begins to give a duck sermon and, and he says to the ducks, now, we have the ability to fly. So leave here and soar like eagles. And the little ducks get up and they waddle home. They had the resources to pull it off, but they never quite made the connection. See, Jesus said, I'm sending you power. And it is for your good that I'm gone. Because I'm not going to be limited by space and time anymore. I'm going to be everywhere, anytime, for anyone that calls upon my name. And I'm going to give you power. It's for your good that I do this. Now, God's idea of what's good for me is different than my idea of what's good for me. And sometimes God may ask me or you to do things or say things or go and give in certain ways that maybe we didn't want to do. That he knows what's best for us and we know what's best for us. That we would rather be comfortable. I'd rather lead than be led. I'd rather, I'd rather just make my own little empire, Lord. 
But see, if we're living lives only of comfort, do we really need a comforter? I mean, I think we have to push ourselves, we let God push us a little bit because we do have a mission. We have to proclaim Jesus to the world. And if we're gonna fulfill that mission, we cannot do it on our own. We need a helper. We need a friend to put ourselves in positions of faith, of trust, of walking on water. And, we, and to be fair, we just got through one. We just renovated this whole wing of this church. New audiovisual systems across this campus paid for all of it in a pandemic. <laughs> that's insane. It's, that's like only God could pull that off. I mean, so there's precedent there of not being afraid to jump out and let God put us in places that are a little bit un- uncomfortable so that we can feel his comfort. See, a lot of times people in church will go, well, I'm not a preacher. Like, you went to divinity school. But here's the, rem- please be reminded of this. Jesus called fishermen. He didn't call rabbinical school experts, right? He called everyday people. God's desire for us to show the spirit is through people that are natural and sincere. That's the best medium he wants to use. The greatest Christian is not the one who has achieved the most, but the one who has received the most. Because God is always giving to us all the time. So we know that the Spirit of God is God. We know that the Spirit is God, the Spirit is good, and that the Spirit is loving. I mean, God is love. God loves all of us. The Spirit is loving. So as we close, and I'm gonna have a time of prayer where we just ask God to maybe rekindle the fire. Maybe God, rekindle the altar of my heart. God, sometimes I've taken the log out of my fireplace, which is really where it needed to burn the most to, stay, to begin with. God, rekindle the fire in my heart. So let's, let's pray together. It's a great song to hear about spirit empowered and celebration. As I said earlier, celebration. It's a great song for that. Because we do celebrate. We celebrate because we have the word, we have the spirit in our lives as Christians. I mean, we celebrate, like the church will always be that visiting team that is celebrating while everyone is like, you guys are like lunatics. We've always been that peculiar, different, sort of oddly, overly kind and loving and, and, and gracious people, a little peculiar group of people that don't march to the beat of the world, but we celebrate because we have the word and the spirit. Like Jim Cimbala has a great quote about that where he says, the old saying is true. If you only have the word, you dry up. But if you, if you only have the spirit, you blow up. But if you have both, you grow up. And so let's continue to grow at, up in the spirit and the word as you leave this place. God bless each of you. We'll see you soon. Come on back next week. God bless.